So I would like to introduce to you Phil and Maria Mason. Would you welcome them? Come on up, guys. And we are just going to pray for you and then let you guys loose. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, amazing couple who have given their, their hearts and their lives to following you, discovering the depths of your incredible love for them, Lord, the revelations of that, and the power of your spirit. Jesus, thank you that you're their Lord and King. And we pray now in a release and a blessing of the Holy Spirit over you guys and from you guys to us, that you might bless us as the people of Jesus in this place as we also continue the story of his kingdom in this location and beyond. So Holy Spirit, bless them. I pray their hearts, as much as they're pouring out, it would be poured back into them, Lord, the joy of your saving work in their life, Jesus. Thank you for Phil and Maria. Bless them, Lord, and open our ears, God. Open our hearts, God. Poke at the bits of our life, God, that need to be poked at this morning. The stuff that's kind of, we're elevating higher than you, Jesus, and help us get it back into its rightful place again. And set us free, Lord. Set us free where we feel bound. Set us free where we feel like we've, you know, hooked up and can't, can't get free. Let your kingdom come today as we hear your word and as Phil and Maria share their life with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So good to be with you. Happy birthday, Pine Rivers Vineyard. We're excited to be here to celebrate it with you. 29 years, and uh, what are you going to do in your 30th? Just nothing, just let it roll by. And <laughs> we just had our 25th uh, birthday, and... Uh, Wow, all right. More, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Signs of an outpouring. Um, yeah, we just had our 25th birthday last November, and so uh, we're close behind. I don't think we're going to catch up, but, <laughs> but it's uh, great to be here. We're just really stoked to be a part of the celebration. So bless you guys. Yeah, I just wanted to firstly say hello and thanks for hosting us today, it is an honour and it is a privilege. Thank you very much to be invited to this very special day. We love the local church and the world would not be the same without local churches, would it? It would just not be the same. God has positioned his bride and we are so getting set up for another move of God in our nation right now. And we can all feel it. We know something's building. And this morning, I just want to declare over you that you are well positioned for the next move. And I felt like um, I had this whole thing that the Lord gave me this morning. And then I came in here and I was like, no, that is not it. And then I realized 29. And the Father said to me from Psalm 29 in the worship, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. And I wanted to say to you, to you beautiful friends today, that God is setting you up to hear his voice even more in this season, even more. And so I would love you to stand to your feet. Phil's going to bring the message this morning, but... 
we're going to position our hearts to receive a fresh impartation of the prophetic anointing because there is nothing more damaging in our lives than not hearing God. Amen? We must hear the voice of the Lord for ourselves, right? You can YouTube it. You can have every great book on your shelf, and we have way too many books on our shelves. We have the history of everything on our shelves. But unless I meet with God, unless I hear from my Father, unless I have the prophetic percolating afresh in my life every single day, all of that could be as nothing. I mean, it's something, but it's not an everything. But the voice of God is everything. The prophetic anointing that he's put on you and in you through the Holy Spirit is everything. So lay hands on yourself right now, maybe your head, your heart, whatever part. I tend to go for the stomach lately. I just want God to just birth in me a fresh prophetic authority. So, Lord, I release over every person in this room right now a new capacity and ability to hear the voice of God. And where the accuser has come and said, you can't hear from the Lord, we break that corporately this morning in Jesus' name. We say we are the people of God and it's our inheritance to hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. And Lord, we want that with all of our hearts. So Lord, break off any spiritual deafness. Break off any uh, distractions to your heart and your voice this morning. And let the voice of God rise in this part of Brisbane. The Lord is restoring the prophetic afresh in these days. And he says, I'm raising up prophets from amongst your midst who will carry my heart, not just to this part of Australia, but to the nations. And out of this house will come a new prophetic flow, a new prophetic authority. And God says, arise, beloved ones, and do not look back because I have commissioned you. I have called you. And he says to the elderly, you are not done yet, but you are just beginning. There is a fresh prophetic authority on the over 60s in this hour. And God says, get cooking because there's new gas for you. Get prophesying because there's new assignments. And to the young ones, I saw a massive move of the Lord in the region over the 20-year-olds. And I feel like the Lord is saying, prepare, 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 because I am raising up a fresh prophetic army, and even I can reach into the earth, and I will grab the things that are dead, and I will call them alive. I will bring them forth, and you will have a fresh army of young ones arise in this house, says God, and he's going to bring in everything for the new thing that he's doing. And so get ready for the greater works of God. Get ready for a new move of the Spirit. Can we lift our hands in this place and pray in the Spirit right now to seal, to seal it. Be it unto us, O God. Let us not miss out on one thing that you have in this hour. We're so excited. We're so hungry. Let your voice shake us up today. Let the voice of God shake us up. Send us out from here to heal the sick. Send us out from here to prophesy to dead things today in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a good word. So good. All right. Well, you know, um, Maria and I are sons and daughters of the vineyard. Um, I'm a proud son of the vineyard. And uh, I was just so touched this morning worshipping with you and remembering 
some of the great songs that have come out of the vineyard. I remember it was like about 1989, 1990 approximately when I started hearing about John Wimber. And uh, I started finding out who this guy was because a lot of people were talking about him back then in the, in the uh, late, yeah, late 80s. And, uh, and so uh, being here and singing uh, Andy Park songs and Brian Dirksen, I was getting this flood of memories from the past and, uh, and, and honouring the rich heritage. And uh, so I want to open by saying that uh, we massively honour John Wimber and the movement uh, that the Lord used him to raise up. And uh, the, the thing is, though, we've got to be careful that the memories from the past don't eclipse the memories from the future. You know, the prophetic is memories from the future. And so God is flooding us all the time with memories of the future. And it's a total paradigm shift because we can very easily become past present people who live in the present, anchored in, and, in, and tethered in a way to the past, but we've got to be anchored to the future. We've got to become a future present people who are continuously listening to what Maria was talking about, about the voice of the Lord leading us and guiding us into our destiny. You know, Paul says that we were foreknown from, from before the very foundations of the age. It's an extraordinary thought to think that we were in the mind of God from all eternity past. You were never not in the mind of God, no matter how far back you reach into the past. He knew us. He foreknew us. And those whom he foreknew, it says he predestined us. And predestination means a predetermined destination determined by God that we would step into our destiny. And we've got to become a future present people who are always being drawn into our present into our future destiny, overshadowed by the reality of these memories from the future that are rolling in. And so as a prophetic people, we've got to step into that dimension of uh, engaging the, the spirit of prophecy, knowing that God is speaking to us continuously about who it is that we are becoming. Now, we spend the rest of our lives becoming who we already are in Christ. It's quite extraordinary. Um, every one of us has stepped into our future destiny when God placed us in Christ Jesus. But we spend the rest of our lives becoming who we already are. It's an extraordinary thing. And God is always speaking to you, not about who you were, but about who it is that you are becoming. He's introducing you to yourself in Jesus. So we're being introduced to who we are in Christ continuously by the Spirit and being pulled inexorably into our destiny because we are a people that are pregnant with destiny. God has extraordinary destiny over each of us individually, over corporate gatherings, local churches, streams, movements. There is an incredible destiny that God has and it's all very much tied up in our new identity as beloved son and beloved daughter. Now, as charismatic Pentecostal types who believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we talk about the move of God. We're excited about God moving. And there's this sense of movement. When we read the Word of God, God is on the move. There are wheels inside of wheels and there's rotation and movement in heaven and God is on the move. And so I want to read a verse to you out of uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 14, if I can find it in my notes, uh, the mature, this is the, the Passion Translation, you'd know the verse, it says, um, 
those who are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God, right? That's Romans 8, 14. In the Passion Translation, it says, the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Now, this idea of being moved is forward motion into our destiny in Christ, but it actually uh, echoes this whole idea of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the Holy Spirit overshadowed. Rachaf is the Hebrew word. He overshadowed, he vibrated, he hovered, he moved over the face of the waters. And it says it was formless and void. And in Hebrew, that's tohu bohu. And it rhymes. And it means empty and void. And the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. And what does he do? He brings from emptiness to fullness. And he brings from this place of void, of there's nothing there, to this place of substance and, and purpose. And so then we fast forward to, to Paul talking about being moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, we love the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing more exciting than coming together as the people of God with an anticipation God is going to move. Because God is always on the move. Isn't it like that the, um, movie Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe? Aslan is on the move. Aslan is on the move in the earth. And we need to be moving with him according to the direction that he wants to carry us. And so this, this idea of the mature sons of daughters being moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, as Pentecostals, we want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We, even this morning, I was praying, when we were praying together at the front, Lord, let today be another Pentecost. Let today be another outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us. And so it's interesting that the very next verse, Romans 8, 15, Paul begins to talk about the spirit of adoption that we have been adopted as sons and daughters. Now, what if, from heaven's perspective, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit from the Father's perspective is the outpouring of the Spirit of adoption upon the church? Interesting thought. From the, from the Father's perspective, and He is the, the one who, who does the adopting into the family of God, what if the outpouring of the Holy Spirit isn't just for power to be effective witnesses to Christ? or uh, to deepen our intimacy with Him, or all these other possible options that could come when the Holy Spirit is poured out. What if the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the outpouring of the adoptive love of the Father to bring us all the way into our destiny as beloved sons and daughters? It's just an interesting perspective to, to bring that idea to it, because Paul's talking about being moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And then he introduces the Holy Spirit as the spirit of adoption in the very next verse. And then he says, and the Spirit, verse 16, and the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are adopted, beloved sons and daughters of God. Our destiny is tied up in Christ. When God speaks to us about our destiny, He's revealing to us who we are becoming in Christ, and we get to participate in the very divine sonship of Jesus. We get placed in Christ. And so when He speaks to us about our destiny, the, the key is finding out who we are in Him, and that will guarantee us stepping into our destiny. If we can see who we are, we can easily slide into our destiny because it will come very naturally. 
because we're finding ourselves in him. And that's where, you know, we are his workmanship prepared beforehand for good works. That he has prepared that we should that he has prepared for us that we should walk in those good works, those that calling, that kingdom destiny and calling. So I'm pretty excited about the spirit of adoption, and I've been really thinking a lot about this whole idea of the uh, Holy Spirit as the spirit of adoption in our lives. In the Voice Bible, I don't know if you're familiar with the Voice Bible. It's a give me a wave if you anyone here's got a copy of the Voice. Whoa, this is a Voice Bible free zone. Okay, I want to rec- recommend the Voice Bible to you. I, I'm one of these guys who, uh, to me, it's like opening presents to go to a different translation. Whether it's the Message, the Passage, Passage Translation, the NLT, the NIV, I just like reading in lots of different translations. Now, in the Voice Bible, I was right. Like, why? Is it, why is it called the Voice Bible? And it says. In the beginning, John chapter 1, verse 1, the voice was and is speaking. The voice was speaking, the Word of God, the active voice of God. The voice was speaking. And then later on, the voice, verse 14, John 1, 14, the voice became flesh and blood. And then in verse 18, we beheld His glory, um, this glorious Son, and it says, straight from the Father's heart. John 1.18 in the Voice Bible, straight from the Father's heart. It's like an arrow. hits the mark, just straight to the heart. He comes straight from the Father's heart, straight to your heart, straight to my heart with this message of sonship that He became what we are so that we can become what He is. He who was divine became human so that we can participate in His divine nature and step into a participation in the very divinity of Christ. He remains divine, we're human, but He became who we are so that we can become who He is and step in to the fullness of our destiny as mature sons and daughters. And that's what I believe the Lord is doing. He is raising up mature sons and daughters. What if the church is really just a matrix, which is the old Latin word for womb? What if the church is a womb for emerging mature sons and daughters who know that they are deeply beloved by God? They know they are the beloved of God and they can step into their destiny. And so it's the work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to who we are in Christ. That's much of the work of the Holy Spirit. He's testifying with our spirit that we are adopted as sons and daughters. And so I've been thinking a lot about the Father's love and, and you know, here I am in the vineyard preaching on the Father's love. I remember, you know, touching the Father's heart series back in the late 80s, early 90s, where we were so, we were so blessed. Um, cassettes, yes. And, uh, you know, I... I I think I might even still have a few floating around in in boxes somewhere, some of these Touching the Father's Hearts uh, cassettes, and then eventually the CDs came in. And we were so moved by uh, the the, the heart of worship embodied in the Vineyard Movement, and it is still to this day one of the great strengths of the Vineyard Movement, that they are a worshipping community. And so it's all about touching the Father's heart. It's about the Father's heart touching us. And we can kind of sometimes think, well, I've got that one, down, I figured out I'm adopted, I'm a beloved son, I'm a beloved daughter. And you can almost like tick that box and say, well, let's move on. What else is there, Lord? What else do you want to show me? But you know what? It is um, unfathomable depth of glory to be taken on a journey into our 
divine destiny to be conformed to the image of his son. What an extraordinary thought. And we've got to get out of our religious boxes even to get our heads around this, that really the church is a, uh, a place where sons and daughters can mature and arise steeped in the knowledge that they are deeply loved and deeply adopted into the Father's heart. And the Father's love is adoptive love. It's a very special kind of love. It's adoptive love. And he's pouring out adoptive love continuously on us. But here's the thing. The journey for you and I, Jesus actually laid, up, laid out the, uh, the terms of reference, if you like, in the upper room, where he said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And he even explains in the upper room that the day is coming where he will come to us. No, more than just come to us, he will come into us. He says, I will come to you. And God sent his son into the world. And then in the fullness of time, yet God sent forth his son, uh, Galatians chapter 4. But then it says he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. He has sent his son into our hearts. And he is the adoptive father who loves his children and wants to lavish adoptive love upon them. So he says, Jesus comes and says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You're all orphans. It's a great big orphanage, right? Planet Earth is a big orphanage. I'm not going to leave you in that orphan state, but you know, I'm going to bring you into this relationship between the Father and the Son. And the world is going to know and the world is going to believe when they see a company of people who are loved by the Father in the same way Jesus was loved by the Father. The same way that you passionately loved me, Father, you love them. And when the world sees people who've been transformed by that adoptive love, this is Jesus' mission statement in John 17. They're going to know. The world will know and the world will believe. Um, in Romans chapter 8, in uh, the Passion Translation, it says that the universe is standing on tiptoes, longing to see the emergence of the sons of God, wanting to see the sons and of daughters of God. The universe is standing on tiptoes. So there's this anticipation from heaven that we will take a hold of this message and move beyond just Christians who go to church to becoming sons and daughters who are on a developmental track of spiritual formation into hosting the heart of mature sonship. And I've got this phrase that's going around and around in my head, intentional sonship intentional sonship. It's an intentionality to, to embrace this destiny, to step up into this glorious calling of being mature sons and daughters of God. And it takes an intentionality, and the Lord is more than willing to impart His intentionality to our hearts so that we become deeply intentional. You know, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it even entered into the hearts of, of God's people, the things that he has prepared for those who love him. And so this is taking us right off our map into a place that we are not familiar with, but the Holy Spirit is calling us there. And I think it's as we step into our full new creation identity as beloved sons and daughters that we will fulfill our destiny. It'll just become spontaneous. Uh, last year, I released a book called The Upgrade in the Upper Room. 
Kirk very generously wrote a lovely endorsement. That was an extremely generous endorsement, Kirk. Thank you. Um, and it's called The Upgrade in the Upper Room. And the subtitle is The Birthplace of Apostolic Community. And I really believe that Jesus gave the theological and conceptual template for building apostolic community, where we all carry the apostolic heart of the Father. Jesus is our great apostle and high priest. He carried an apostolic heart. You know the old creed, I believe in one holy apostolic Catholic church. Um, Is that the... uh, Nicene Creed or is that the Apostles' Creed? And you know, one holy apostolic church. You see, it's not just a church where there are apostolic leaders. I believe there's an apostolic quality that comes on the people of God when we all host the Father's heart, the adoptive love of the Father. So I went up writing this book called The Upgrade in the Upper Room. I released a book in 2019 called Royal Heart Therapy. And um, And the subtitle was The Ministry of the Beloved Son. Yes, that's the ministry of Jesus, but it's also the ministry of us as beloved sons and daughters. And so uh, I wrote that book, and and I think it was chapter 10, I think it was called The Upgrade in the Upper Room. So I put that book out, and I thought, right, move on, I'll come study something different. But the Lord kept bringing me back to this phrase, The Upgrade in the Upper Room. The Upgrade in the Upper Room. And the more I thought about that, the more it just started opening up, and I thought, you know what? There's a lot to be said about this upgrade that Jesus wants to take us as his followers, his disciples, into this radical upgrade. Now, we all know that the body of Scripture in John 13 to 17 is extremely unique. It's a very unique body of teaching. It's like the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is three action-packed chapters. All the words of Jesus are in red, but then you get to the upper room, and again, it's like here it's now five chapters, and it's almost all the words of Jesus in red, a little bit of narrative thrown in there, and here's how it all opens up. In John chapter 13, verse 1, and I'm quoting from the Passion Translation, all throughout his time with his disciples, Jesus demonstrated a deep and tender love for them, but now he wanted to show them the full measure of his love. He wanted to show them the full measure of his love, and that's where the term upgrade in the upper room comes from. John 13, verse 1. And so, this is in the NIV, it's in the Passion Translation. Um, Jesus wants to reveal the fullness of the love of God in all of its height, depth, breadth, and width, to know this love of Christ that passes knowledge, to know the love of the Father. And that's really what this whole thing is all about. I mean, it's a, it's a giant Father's heart movement, the church. It's a heart revolution, which is the language that Maria and I have brought uh, to, well, the Lord gave us for our ministry. We call it heart revolution. And wherever we go, we're always trying to promote a deeper heart journey of the people of God with, with the Lord. And I think the whole idea of the upgrade in the upper room is that God is taking us up into a dimension of experience of the love of God that transcends what we have previously experienced. So the upgrade in the upper room is an upgrade into greater adoptive love. Now, all throughout his time with his disciples, Jesus demonstrated a deep and tender love for them. So he was lavishing love on them from the get-go, and that was the standout thing. Jesus is overflowing with the Father's love. 
for his disciples. So the adoptive love idea wasn't all that new. Jesus brings some new language to that in the upper room. I will not leave you as orphans. But they had been experiencing the outpouring of the perfect love of God throughout their entire time walking with Jesus. What was it about the upper room that was an upgrade? Well, as I drilled into this, I began to see that, uh, you know, the full measure of his love. What is, what's he going to show them? And I think the standout thing is covenantal love. You know, it was in the upper room that Jesus made a covenant with his bride. The bridegroom spoke vows over his bride as the Father has loved me. I also have loved you. And so these are covenantal vows. Abide in my love. The message says, make yourselves at home in my love. And so he's inviting them into something that they were just completely um, unprepared for. And it's not even in the Synoptic Gospels. It's like John wrote the Gospel of John possibly up to 50 years after Jesus uttered these words. And through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he reconstructed the entire narrative. Maybe the Lord took him into a series of visions where he was back there in the upper room and he was receiving the Holy Spirit's dictation of the exact words that Jesus spoke. And he poured over those words possibly for decades before he published his gospel. And then he publishes it. And these are mature reflections of John, the beloved, the beloved disciple who was uniquely loved, not uniquely loved in the sense that God had special love for John, but John postured himself to receive that love by leaning on Jesus' breast and being there in the upper room with him. So the disciples are like, who's going to be his betrayer? Peter says to John. And John's like, let me ask. You know, he leans in and, and the Lord tells him these, these secrets. And so you've got this beautiful picture of the upgrade in the upper room. You, we ascend the stairs into this elevated place where it's a picture of us being seated together with Christ in heavenly places. And God begins to unfold the nature of his adoptive love and, and beyond that into covenantal love. Now, it's interesting the relationship between adoptive love and covenantal love because adoptive love is something that we continuously receive from God. He's always pouring out his adoptive love upon us, which is showering a sense of identity upon us. So adoptive love is something you position yourself to receive and continue to receive and receive and receive and receive, because that's the, that's the Christian life, being showered with the adoptive love of heaven through this continuous outpouring. And then the difference, though, with covenantal love is that Jesus starts to introduce covenantal love when he says, no greater love has anyone for his friends, than to lay down his life for his friends. And he begins to talk about covenantal love. You see, the thing about the difference between adoptive love and covenantal love is, as I've said, we receive adoptive love, but we begin to give covenantal love. And because covenant, even in marriage, is where two people make vows to create this new thing called a marriage which eclipses two old self-centered people coming together to lay their lives down for each other for the betterment and well-being of one another. So love seeks the highest good of another. At the expense of our own lives, we are willing to lose our lives for the enrichment of the lives of others. 
as a pastor, I think that has defined who I have become because I am so devoted to uh, being a friend of the bridegroom to prepare the bride for this coming wedding that I'm willing to lay my life down and it just becomes normal for me. Um, other pastors, you would know, it just becomes second nature. Well, I'm a servant of the church. I'm, I'm laying my life down so that I can invest and pour in to the body of Christ. And so covenantal love is another kind of, it's a different kind of love because, it, you know, adoptive love is free. You just receive it. Covenantal love will cost you everything. Um, herein is love. He laid down his life for us and we ought to also lay down our lives for his church. And that's, that's the nature of covenantal love. And I feel like the Lord is wanting to usher us into a new era of expressing covenantal love with those he's placed us with. As long as we're together. And it means that if you, know, you move on to a different location, do it with those guys over there. But wherever you are, do it. You know, live covenantally in the sense that you're laying your life down for the betterment and the welfare of others. And that's what Jesus came and he modeled that to us. And really, the upper room, there's a chapter in my book about the upper room and the Song of Songs. And there are so many overlapping themes between the Song of Songs as a prophetic song of the bridegroom singing over his bride and the, and the bride singing back to her beloved. There's so many themes that intersect with the Song of Songs in the upper, in the upper room. I mean, the whole thing has this bridal vibe, <laughs> bridal vibe to it uh, in the upper room. And, and so that's where Jesus is taking us as a company of people. He's taking us into the outpouring of his covenantal love upon us, lavished upon us in the Eucharist, in uh, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, where we eat this meal together as the people of God. And we are learning what it means to lay our lives down, whether we're married or not. We're still called to lay our lives down. It might be for your spouse if you're married, but it might just be for those around you in, in relationship with. And so it is a laying down, a great, no greater love than to, to lay our lives down for Jesus. Now, next level beyond that, I believe, is um, attachment love. Attachment love. John 15 is a very, very powerful revelation of attachment love because Jesus teaches attachment through the parable of the vine and the branches. And he says, if you don't abide in the vine by being attached, vitally attached to the vine and to the other branches, by the way, in brackets, you can't follow me. You can't be my disciple. Um, you know, a separated branch will just be discarded. And so there's this vital connection where there is a life flow from Jesus the vine into the branches that are vitally connected and vitally attached to Jesus. Now, I don't know how much you know about attachment love. A couple of years ago, I was a stranger to the concept. And so the Lord took me on a journey because I've been trying to figure myself out for a number of years. I'm a complicated creature. And, uh, I'm a mixture of glory and brokenness, and I think we all are. You know, we've got the glory side where we put on our Jesus shoes and put in our Jesus suit and we step into doing something in the name of the Lord, but then we know we've, we carry this brokenness. And so I've been trying to figure out this whole attachment thing, and, and it turned out 
that as I studied my family of origin, not to disparage them in any way, I love my mum and dad, but there wasn't very much attachment. On a scale of one to ten, I think we were almost in the negative. There was no physical affection. There were no beautiful words of, of loving affirmation. Um, no sense of identity in the family, of belonging. I know that mum and dad were, were a product of their own journey, uh, which was, you know, I knew their parents, I knew on both sides, and, and you know, they were all deeply traumatised from World War II and just in total survival mode. And, and so there was this attachment wounding that's gone through my generational bloodline. And uh, give me a wave if you've heard of attachment theory. Attachment theory is a gift to the church. So what the psychologists have done in the psychological community or the community of psychology and psychotherapy, what they've done is they have studied human behavior and realized that certain people come into this world through their family of origin with some disadvantages around the attachment area because of the lack of building of trust in those, those formative early years, which results in an attachment disorder where people find it difficult to build powerful connections and attachments, and they feel alone. They feel isolated. Really deep down, they don't think there's anyone to trust other than to trust yourself. And so they begin to build trust in themselves and their own way of thinking and, and living, but they're not able to build those deep attachments. Along comes Jesus... 2,000 years before to attachment theory even became a thing, and he teaches us attachment 101 in John chapter 15, which is sandwiched right in the middle of John 13, 14, 16, and 17. You've got chapter 15. So this is the heart of the upper room narrative that Jesus brings, and he is teaching us what attachment looks like because where this thing is taking us, where adoptive love and covenantal love is taking us is into attachment love where we begin to build healthy attachments. Now, to begin to step into those healthy attachments, we've got to undo some damage that came to our attachment system in our brain. And there is an attachment system because you were wired for attachment. But when that attachment doesn't occur the way it ought to have occurred, no finger pointing, no blame, we're a broken race of people. And we're all, we all have some attachment stuff going on in our lives or lack of attachment stuff going on in our lives. So there's no finger pointing here. But I believe that Jesus wants us to come into such a deep attachment to Him and the Father and to one another in community that we can weather any storm together. No matter what trials, no matter what crises come, we can weather it together and we can support each other and comfort each other and uphold each other in the bonds of attachment love. And so the church becomes the place where we begin to rebuild attachments, where there's been damaged to our attachment system, where there's attachment disorders and so on. I think that this stuff is a gift to the church. I was in Kurong and I was, um, Maria wanted to go to Ikea in southern end of Brisbane and she said, I really want to go to Ikea and get a few things. And I was like, oh, I don't feel like walking through the maze. And, you know, you've got to sort of start at A and go through B, C, D, all the way to Z. And then you get to the checkout. And I just wasn't in the right space. I said, you know, I'm going to go to Kurong. It's across the road. And I, it was, I went into that bookshop in a season where God was highlighting to me some issues in my personal formation 
that really needed some deeper attention. And so I, I walked into the bookshop and said, Lord, lead me to a book that will be, help me to understand who I am and where I've come from and why I do the things I do. And to understand my own trauma of unmet need. And I was already aware of some of these issues. And I went to the bookshop and I said, guide me, Lord. And he led me to a book called Why You Do the Things You Do. What a great title. By um, Clinton someone or someone Clinton. can't remember. He's got the word Clinton in it. It's either his first or last name. But uh, he's a, a, a professional counselor guy who's like leads 5,000 networks of counseling networks. You know, like one of these Larry Crabb kind of guys who's been in the industry all his life and he's um, elevated to this place of great training and input in the lives of others. And this entire book was about attachment. And he looks at the four attachment styles. There's the three unhealthy, anxious attachment styles. And there's the one exceptional, wonderful, um, healthy attachment style. And I was like, oh, I didn't have that one. <laughs> but it took something from the outside to break into my little myopic world to help me see myself the way God saw me in terms of the areas of brokenness that he wanted to call me out from and into wholeness. And so uh, I've been on this journey trying to understand what makes me tick. Why did I turn out the way I turned out? Why have I had attachment issues in my life? Why has it been difficult to form those deep, deep bonds of love and trust? And so part of this book, The Upgrade in the Upper Room, is a deep dive into attachment. Now, in the course of this journey, I ran into this verse by Paul um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7, and I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation. Paul says, even though we, apostles, could have imposed upon you our demands as apostles of Christ, instead we showed you kindness and were gentle among you. We cared for you in the same way a nursing mother cares for her own children. With a mother's love and affectionate attachment to you, we were very happy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives, because you had become so dear to us. And you know how affectionately we treated each one of you, like a loving father cares for his own children. We comforted and encouraged you and challenged you to adopt a lifestyle worthy of God who invites you into his kingdom and glory. Great passage of scripture. Paul opens up his heart as an apostle, the ex-murderer who becomes the pioneer of attachment love. Now there's a miracle. That's a serious miracle right there. Look who this guy became. He was the guy who was breathing murders on the Damascus road ready to create orphans. You know, he became the orphanator. You know, he was moving in the, 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 the shadow of Satan, the great orphanator, who makes orphans everywhere he goes, just like Pol Pot, just like Stalin, just like Vladimir Putin. These people are orphanators. They make orphans. It's their industry. They generate orphans. Along comes Jesus to break the power of the old orphan identity and to set us free from orphanitis, the condition that afflicts every human being where we are riddled with orphan thinking, riddled with orphan feelings, and riddled with orphan behaviors. 
and the orphan behaviors flow out of the orphan thinking and the orphan feeling. Now, if we're going to do a deep dive into the Father's adoptive love, Jesus sets up the terms of reference. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He's saying, orphan, there's that word. And that is the very essence of human brokenness. Yes, it is the sin condition, absolutely. We're not negating that or whitewashing that. It is the sin condition where we have separated, been separated from God through our sins. But Jesus said, no, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And standing before them was the beloved son in this perfect relationship with the father who invites us to step into this perfect relationship with a perfect father and go on the journey of being transformed from being functionally orphans all the way through to being functionally beloved, attached sons and daughters. And really the pathway forward for us as followers and disciples of Jesus is to get on this deeper level of journeying out this transformation of our hearts. And this is how Jesus put it. And we know this because we're vineyard, right? He says, the Father has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has anointed me to preach the gospel, but he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And that word brokenhearted is suntribo. It's a marriage of the word cardia, which is heart, and suntribo, which means to be broken, shattered, etc. Now, this word tribo is a really interesting word. We get the word tribulation, trial, tragedy, and trauma. Trauma comes... Trauma is actually the root word, and tribo is one of the derivative words. And so the only other place we read the word trauma is when Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He bound up his wounds, anointing them with oil and with wine, and took him to the inn to, to heal. And, and so Jesus used the word trauma, but when he quoted the Isaiah scroll, which, which Kirk read out at the beginning of this gathering, it's about Jesus coming to heal traumatized hearts. And part of that trauma is not necessarily the type B traumas that people experience, which are the abuse kind of traumas. They're the, tra the type A traumas, which, are, uh, which is the trauma of unmet need. And so Elijah House talk about this a lot in their uh, Deep Heart Healing Ministry. They'll talk about the trauma of unmet need. And they'll say, hey, this is just as, bad, just as, just as traumatic as these other traumas where there might have been an overt you know, physical, sexual uh, abuse that might have taken place, um, the wound of unmet need is just as deep. And so part of the healing of the orphan heart is this healing of unmet need where the father begins to step in through adoption to meet those deepest needs in all of our hearts. And so the, the upper room picture is this incredible picture that is painted of this dimension of upgrade that we are being taken into as the people of God. We are being taken up the stairway into this elevated place where Jesus says, Father, I pray that they would be one even as you and I are one, that they would be made one in us, attached vitally to one another where our hearts are being deeply healed. Now, for you and I to fulfill our destiny, it's not just confessing that you are a son. You know, we can get the revelation that we are adopted sons and daughters, and we can use the confessional model, and we can confess until the cows come in. I'm a beloved son. I'm a beloved daughter. It's deeper than just the confession. It's the actual journey, step by step, out of our old orphan thinking, out of our old orphan feelings, 
out of our old orphan behaviours into the feelings of sonship, the thinking of a beloved son, the mind of Christ, the behaviours of Christ that flow out of the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ. And so that's the nature of this journey that God is taking us on. And it is a major upgrade and we need to hold this vision before our hearts. This is where we're going. We're going deeper into adoptive love, deeper into covenantal love, and deep, 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 deep into attachment love where God will heal the attachment wounds. God will heal the trauma of unmet need. Jesus came. He was sent by the Father to call sinners to repentance, but also to heal those who have been traumatized living in a very, very broken and sinful world. Double cure for a double problem, right? How do we get to mature sonship? It's a deep heart journey. It's a really deep heart journey. And we've got to be willing to let the Lord shine light into some of those broken places to take us on a deep journey of the heart into radical healing. And so I wanted to bring that to you, just a simple observation of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. The Holy Spirit builds affectionate attachment. He moves upon our emotions and begins to dissolve all our attachment wounds and our attachment disorders. And He wants to establish peace in our heart. The mind that is set upon the Spirit is life and peace. A mind filled with the shalom of heaven. And that's really the work of the Spirit. It's, it's through displacement, really. His peace endlessly flooding us. Who believes God heals trauma? Now, at first, when we start to un uncover some of these areas of trauma, we're like, could that get healed? Yes, it can. The God who heals a broken arm can heal a broken and traumatized heart. We've got to shout it from the mountaintops. In fact, we need to become the company that are the head and not the tail in healing trauma in our society. God wants to raise up radical trauma therapists because we've been walking with Jesus, the trauma therapist. He's the greatest trauma therapist in the universe. And sometimes we've given that whole ministry to the secular um, psychotherapy community, which are really working to try and bring transformation. And God bless them. They're doing a great job. And they are, to an extent, alleviating problems in people's lives. But Jesus is the one who does the deep level healing. Jesus is the one who takes us all the way in to a powerful attachment to the Father, where we're just being showered with the Father's attachment love. The pathway is intentional sonship. Simple truth, but we need a greater intentionality. I'm just going to invite Maria to come up. You want to say something? Just before Phil and Maria lead us in a time of ministry, I do want to point out that Phil has and, and Maria have brought a number of resources that they've written and, and developed over the years that are available up the back there at the uh, table up the back wall there. And I just encourage you to make sure that you sort of walk past there and have a browse at that and um, maybe pick some of these up for yourself before you go today. Back to you guys. Why don't you come on up here, Maria? I did forget to mention that. Thanks, Kirk. You're, you're a gentleman. Um, by the way, David and Carol, what can I say? I love you guys so much. 
These guys ministered to us in a season of incredible pain around orphan stuff, and you were there to, to pick us up. Thank you. I love you both. And I love the vineyard movement. I love that it's all about the Father's heart. There's nothing I'm saying today that's outside of the context of just a deeper experience of the Father's love. Jesus, thank you so much for what you're doing in our hearts. How many people um, can feel the Lord moving right now in this place? Yeah. Who has a passion to heal the brokenhearted? Come on. I just released a book and I really didn't want to, we don't like to do a lot of, you know, blah, blah about our books, but I'm pretty stoked about my book, The Heart Prophet, a manual for feelers, seers, and heart restorers. It's about reframing the prophetic for a new generation. It's about what Phil's pre- what Phil has released today over you. You know, it's, it's a theology of understanding that the prophetic is not just about destiny, popcorn words, and you're feeling great about you, but it's about releasing the ministry of the Father's love into individuals in your home, in your house, around your table, as you take fellowship together. And this is where people get healed, when they feel safe, when they feel adopted, when they know that they've been invited to partake of something other, the realm of his love, the feast of his love laid out at a table. And, you know, fellowship at a table is the most powerful way people get healed, you know? Receiving prayer ministry. Um, We all have to become, in this hour, fabulous at being able to just lay hands on people. You don't need to be articulate to do it. This is just what the Lord's doing right now. Just putting our hands on each other and asking the Lord very gently and very calmly and quietly, Holy Spirit, would you come and break the power of the trauma? And one of the things that you can pray for people or ask people is, do you have pain in your body? Because often pain is trauma hiding. There's a great correlation between infirmity and trauma. We don't have time to unpack that thought right now, but I know many of you know about that and want to encourage you again. Go again. Go again in the healing realm because the world is desperate right now and we need heart healers, heart restorers to rise up within the church of Jesus in this hour to restore the wound of God's people, yeah? And so that's what we're going to do right now.